So my name is Tommy. I'm the pastor here. I told you, so if you were here last week, y'all remember I told you I was scared of flying. Y'all remember that? And then I flew out to Colorado to this thing. And so I came back Friday night. It was amazing. I, I'm sure over the next months and weeks I'll be sharing different things with you guys. But I came in this morning at like 6.30 or whatever just to sort of work on the message because I thought, I thought y'all deserved for me to have something to say. And so I came... And, I, and the very first thing I had written, and this is true, was, Tommy, if you're reading this, you're still alive. <laughs> I'm so dramatic, right? Like, unnecessarily dramatic. <laughs> but I'm alive. Um, it was fun, man. Um, what was I going to talk about today? Oh, so this, this multiply thing has been super fun for me, and I hope it's been fun for you. And even if you're not, if you haven't been following us with the study, I would really encourage you just to go by the book and read it on your own. It's Multiply by Francis Chan, and it's really, really good. But I have gotten so much out of this, just like not only about uh, maybe a greater idea of discipleship, but just some basic foundational truths we need to know about God and about the gospel. So I would really encourage you guys to go back and pick it up. But today... Uh, we get to talk about one of my favorite topics, and it is the church. And I, I just, I mean, obviously, I love this. But I think we live in a world where too many people seem to think and, and say that they, they love Jesus, but they hate the church. And like, I've heard that a lot. Like, I love Jesus, but I hate church. Or it's almost gotten like, like, I'm so enlightened that any form of organized Christianity is now beneath me and offends me. And so I, I'm just having my own thing. And like, I, I, just, I hate the church, but I love Jesus. And I'm not saying God doesn't have the power to, to give you an amazing relationship with God completely outside of the church. And if you never go to church one day in your life, you're not part of any body of Christ. God does have the power to give you an amazing relationship but I'm not sure he has the desire. Because as I read the Bible, what I see is, is a connection where God wants his people to be part of his church, where it matters. It matters to God. Now, is it possible you have had a bad experience with church? Raise your hands. if you've had, It's okay. It's safe. If you've had a bad experience with church, go ahead. Keep your hands up. All right. Keep, now raise your hands if you've had a bad experience with people at any point in your life. Some of y'all are living the dream out there. Like, so why do you think maybe you might have had a bad experience with church? Because the church is full of what? People. people. That's right. And anywhere there are people, there are occasionally going to be really, really, really bad experiences. As a matter of fact, I, I've done some research. And the only way you can go to church and never have a bad experience with people is if you find a church that contains no people. <laughs> like just you and but then eventually you have a bad experience with you like you won't say hi to you one Sunday and then you'll be out you know or something I don't know how that's gonna go but like <laughs> the reason we have bad experiences with churches is because it's a church full of people for some reason God has chosen to use us as his instrument to restore what we broke and so as God is using people to restore things, God is using people to build his church and when God uses people there are occasionally bad experiences there's snobbery. There's clickery. How, what else can I eerie here? Let me think. I don't, I don't think I have anything else. I mean, there, there's hypocrisy. There's hypocrisy. Right? And there's all these things that happen when places are full of people. And so it is possible that you have had a bad experience with church. But we don't abandon it. 
fight for it. Because I believe it matters. And I don't think it makes you enlightened or empowered to say, I love God, but I hate the church. I think it makes you an obstacle that God will go around to make his church an instrument to save the world. We're called to love this thing. Matter of fact, listen, listen to this language in Ephesians 5, 25. And this is, this, you know what? Hold on. Before I read this verse, uh, I want to I do something. Because I don't want you just thinking this verse is for someone else. I want you all to repeat after me, okay? We're, we're going to, this is audience says, you're going to repeat. All right. I am here. And we are here. And God is here. And God has a word for us. And God has a word for me. Okay, now let me tell you something. Your experience with the rest of today will depend on how much you believe the things you just said. Because as I read these scriptures, if you believe that what you said is true, your life is about to be changed. Amen? Now listen. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy and cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Do you hear that language? That is a language of intimacy, isn't it? That, that, that God wants us to love the, the church and that Christ loves the church the way a good husband loves a wife and that he's preparing her and, and, and washing her and taking care of her so that she can be presented to him as blameless. This is the language of intimacy, that Christ loved his church so much that he gave up his life for her. That is how much Christ loves the church. And so today, as I, as I talk about the church, I'm not downplaying the painful experience you've had in church, but I am lifting up the painful experience that Christ had for the church because he gave his life for it. He gave his life for this. For this. And some are like, for this? Yeah. Because the truth is, some of us don't know why we're here. But I am here, and you are here, and he is here, and he has a word for me, and he has a word for you, and today we will find out why we're here, and our lives will be transformed. And I believe it. It matters. This language is so beautiful and so intimate, and so we can't walk away from it. We're not better without it. Uh, we're not going to have some amazing relationship with Jesus apart from it. We're going to fight for it because Christ gave his life for it. And so let's start by talking about the birth of the church. And this is so, I mean, I know I've talked about this stuff every week, but I think it's cool. And like, so, so God starts off uh, by allowing humanity to experience his presence in the garden. Y'all remember that? We talked about that. And then humanity sins, we choose our own way, which is normal for us. And, and so we're, we're cast out of God's uh, presence, but God is still present in the world. And so God raises up a chosen people called the nation of Israel. Good job. And he gives them a special vessel, a portable, portable place where God will make his presence known. And that portable place is called the... Come on, one more time. Say, say it. Yes, I love it. 
And so, so God's known in this portal place called the tabernacle. And then eventually God moves from this portal place to a permanent stationary place called the, the temple. Ah, yes. I love it when things stick. And so God's presence is known in, in the temple. And then at some point, God withdraws his presence from the temple. Temple crumbles. And then the word becomes flesh. And the word is Jesus. And Jesus comes and dwells with us. So now we're experiencing the presence of God again, like person to person. Like when he walks, you hear the leaves crunch underneath him. Like it's, you are experiencing the presence of God. Then at some point, Jesus dies on a cross. He resurrects from the grave three days later. Everybody's pretty surprised by that. And then he hangs out with his disciples for a while. And then he ascends back into heaven. And then when he ascends, what happens? The Holy Spirit descends He's always been there. He's always been around. He has always been among us, but now he's dwelling in us. And so the Holy Spirit is now dwelling in us. And, and at some point before Jesus goes, before Jesus ascends, he gets with about 11 or 12 guys. I think there's probably one of them had kind of meandered off. And so he tells him, I want you to go back to Jerusalem. I want you to get in this upper room, and I want you to wait for me. And so Jesus is gone. He's ascended back into heaven. These guys are in the upper room waiting. But they're, at this point in the story, there's about 120 Christ followers, okay? There's 12 or 11 in the room. There's 120 total that are following Christ. And they're a little scared. Do you know why they're a little scared? Because they've just crucified Jesus. And now they're looking for the other Christ followers. And the plan is to eradicate this whole Jesus thing, right? Let's go ahead and get rid of it. And pretty soon a guy's going to come on the scene named Saul. And Saul's going, his sole purpose is going to be to execute Christians, to find them and eliminate them. All these things are happening. But something happens as these guys are in this upper room. They receive the Spirit. There are flames on their heads. Y'all remember this part? Like no longer do they need headlamps when they're hunting because now there are flames on their head. They just walk around and make light wherever they go. It's incredible, right? You wouldn't even need these hanging lights. Just light. So they're doing that stuff. And then Peter, there's a guy named Peter in the story. And Peter is a guy who has denied Jesus three times. Y'all remember, remember Peter? And one of the times he denies Jesus is to a, like a little girl. Like, ooh, you're a tough guy, the rock, right? And he denies Jesus three times. And then he's sitting in this room. Something happens. The Holy Spirit descends, full of power. Peter walks out into the streets of Jerusalem, and it's packed. It's Passover. Like, this would not be a good time to reveal your secret. This would be a good time to just kind of be quiet about your faith. And Peter walks out into the streets of Jerusalem, and this is what he says in Acts 2.22. <clears throat> he had to tap his microphone, but all they have is those little portable Mr. Microphones. So, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And Peter went, and the crowd was like, ah, why? are you crazy? They're going to kill you. They're going to kill you. 
Like, did you, did you remember Jesus? Ah, they're going to do the same thing to you. They're coming for you. And Peter is just out, he's out of his mind. He's just talking as if he has no fear whatsoever. He's talking as if there's been some sort of substantial change in him that has changed the way he thought, removed his fear, and he's out in the world telling the world about Jesus. And then he says this in verse 36. This is, this is, this is where he gets really dangerous. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. The people of Israel have been waiting for a Messiah for thousands of years. And what he just said was either true or it was the most sacrilegious thing the world had ever heard up until that point in time. He says, Jesus is the Messiah. And then he keeps going. When the people heard this, they were cut to their heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and for your children and for all those who are far off from whom the Lord God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And the church of Christ was born and the spirit lit the flame right there. I mean, they, they, he goes out and he's like, he's alive. You killed him and I've seen him and he's back. And people are like, what should we do? And Peter, Peter's like, repent, turn from your life and turn towards Christ and, and take this, this mark. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Last time we took a mark, it really hurt. <laughs> circumcision, we're not, we're not doing circumcision again. And he goes, no, no, no. It's baptism this time. They're like, we're in. 3,000 people. They all join. It goes from 120 to 3,120 in that moment when the church was born. And I, I picture Peter and the other guys, they're kind of looking at the crowd and they're like, what are we going to do with these people? 3,120 of them now. The person taking attendance at the door is just stressed out, <laughs> right? And I, I mean, I get that. I remember, and Tim, some of you guys, Brooks, some of y'all remember, like, Grace started, and, and Jeff, you know, was, and then he got out of the way, and then it was like it just blossomed, remember? <laughs> it's like, it's like the thing just started to blow up. Are you Clarissa, Ronnie, I mean, Jeff left, and boom. But it was... It was like, I, I, I remember this when I was, I was in the, um, the gym, and we, we were in the gym, and Grace was in the gym, and I don't know how many people were there, and I was like, man, it's pretty good. And then I just remember looking up one day and being like, there's a lot of people here. There's a lot of people in this gym. Um, that's a lot. And I, I remember thinking, what should we do with them? <laughs> like, we should do something with these people. And Stuart, we talked about this the other day, man. You look up, and all of a sudden, you're okay, I got this. Now, what do I do with them? And it's like the, the, the apostles had this same conversation, except they had a plan. They knew what to do with them. And I'm about to read a scripture that I have read 57 times this year. And I'm not saying that we can do everything exactly like this because we are at a different time and a different place. But I think the principles and the spirit of this scripture still applies when it comes to what we should do with the crowd. And so listen to Acts 2.42 again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. 
All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. That was the plan. That was the plan of what they were going to do with the 3,120 people. And so I still believe that the principles and the spirit of that plan apply to us today. I mean, look at the first thing. The first thing it says they did was they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to reading their Bibles. I mean, they actually had the apostles. They had the real thing. We, we, we've got the Bibles, but we still have the apostles' teaching. And it says they devoted themselves, that they began to do that. And so it makes sense that that's what we should begin to do. And I know some of you are like, oh, I get it. I've heard this sermon. He's going to tell me to read my Bible. Oh, 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 church, church, church. Right? Is it working? I mean, and let me tell you what, I do believe this. I believe this with my sincere heart. I believe that we have seen incredible increase in this area in our church over the last year. I think we have seen a people hungering and thirsting to actually read the word of God. I mean, the Bible study you're doing with students, and they're showing up, and you're leading it. I mean, my gosh, that's an act of God right there, right? I mean, it is amazing. Like, people are hungering and thirsting for the word in this house, and we're seeing it. Like, we are seeing it. And, and I think it's not just our job to do life application sermons, and those are important. It's our job to teach people how to read the Bible. But we're really just learning it for ourselves, too. I mean, as the leadership, we're learning in new ways how to read the Bible and how to go deeper. And you can see it flowing through in the conversations I have with you, in the emails I get. In the times when you will challenge me incorrectly on a verse and be wrong, but I at least know you're trying. I can see it. <laughs> and there's depth in this, right? But why would you want to join a church and not devote yourself to this? Why would that make any sense? I mean, I'm, not, I'm saying this from, from a, a place of grace and, and love in my heart, but why would you want to join a church and not devote yourself to learning what this book says? And some people will join church to church to church and jump for church and go, no church ever taught me the Bible. Well, at any point, did you pick it up and try to learn? <laughs> they won't teach me the Bible. You, you had a Bible, didn't you? Look at there. Just opens right up. But like we have to, you know, people call the church hypocrites. You all ever heard that? You know what would be hypocritical? Saying this is the breath of God and never opening it. That would be hypocritical. I mean, and I've been there. Y'all know me. I'm not, I'm not preaching something I hadn't done. I've, I've, oh, it's the breath of God, and I'm going to write it when I get done playing Fortnite, man, I'm going to get to it. But first, I got to get the breath of Fortnite or whatever. Like, if, this, if we believe this is the breath of God, it's hypocritical not to open it and read it, right? And so before you decide that church isn't for you, or before you decide that a church isn't for you, I recommend you open the Bible and find out what church was really meant to be. Okay, that was fun. Now we'll move on to point two. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to sick fellowship. <laughs> Anyone ever grow up in a church with a fellowship hall? Yeah. What did you do in there? You played volleyball. I'll answer it for everybody. That's all you do in a fellowship hall. You play volleyball. Or eat, yeah. 
It's not even fellowship hall. That should be some sacred spot. Was the fellowship hall in your church a sacred spot? No. Like fellowship is supposed to be something special. Real people sharing real problems, working their way through a real world, trying to figure out life. And are there going to be difficulties? Yes. Are there going to be arguments? Yes. Why? Because the church is full of people. And anytime you're trying to build something special, but it's full of people, it's going to be difficult. And so as we try to experience real fellowship, like life-changing fellowship, there are still going to be problems. There are still going to be issues. You know, someone's going to say something you don't like, or someone's going to hurt your feelings, or, or what, what, there's big messes sometimes. And this is like a big, messy church. And so we've had to work through some big messes between people in this place. But that is all part of fellowship. It's part of becoming one. And I believe this. Um, I'm more convinced of it now than I think ever. I think fellowship and oneness and spending time together and knowing, I think it matters more now than ever. And here's why. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold unswervingly, which by the way, I like that word. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Okay, now what I'm about to say is going to weird some of y'all out, okay? So just stick with me. If this is your first time in a church or whatever, don't, don't give up yet. But here's what I believe, that Christ is coming back again. And I believe that as we approach that day, the world is not going to get better. The good old days are over. And so I believe there's going to be more. More wars. More natural disasters. More famine. More disease. More chaos. More problem. And that is why I need my brothers and sisters now more than ever. We are the voice of peace in an anxious world. That's what we exist to be. It's not going to get... I, I, want, I, don't, want, I don't want anyone outside this building to hear this because they might freak out, but you need to know it's not going to get better. So the church must stand and unite in a way we never have before. we gotta, we got to hold each other accountable and love each other, and stand by each other, and fight for each other. Because let me tell you what happens when we don't. When we don't do that, what, what happens, and I've seen this, and so have you, and maybe you've experienced it because I have too. We get caught in some sort of sin, or we're, we're, we're distracted, or we go through something in life, and we begin to pull back from fellowship. We begin to pull away from the church. And when we begin to pull away from the church, because we're in such a connected world, our ears become open to prophets who do not speak for God. And we begin to believe things like Jesus and the Christ are somehow separate or something. And we begin to believe things like all roads lead to Jesus and you can do whatever you want and get there. And we begin to believe things like the love of God is separate from his demand for obedience. We begin to separate these things. And, and we begin to believe that we can pick and choose our own morality. And we begin to believe that whatever experience we're having is some substitute for church. And we begin to believe whatever feels good to our ears as we pull away from fellowship. 
And there's a story in the Bible about when the 99 and the 1, y'all know that one? When the 1 pulls away from fellowship, let me tell you what's happening. The enemy is prowling like a lion looking to devour that one sheep. And so the 99 better seek out the 1 because the enemy is going after the 1 too. And it matters who gets there first. But as we begin to, to pull away from fellowship, we begin to create our own morality. And whatever makes us happy becomes the order of the day. And that's why I would encourage you, no matter what place you are in life, to press into people who are devoted to the apostles' teaching. To not withdraw from fellowship. Because you need it today, and we will need it more and more and more as that day is approaching. And it's hard, guys, because it's people. And you will occasionally be let down, and you will occasionally be hurt. But it's worth fighting for because Jesus died for it. The third thing I want to say is this. They devoted themselves to prayer. And actually, let's see, let's see if you can go back to that one for me. Man, Kathy, you're good. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking bread and to prayer. Okay, um, someone taught me not too long ago that what we read as they devoted themselves to prayer was actually they devoted themselves to the prayers. My brother Jeff talked to me, big deal, whatever. Um, you got one thing. And so they devoted themselves to the prayers. And so for, for, for a Hebrew audience, which is what this is, I mean, we're, we're, we're contextualizing this into our time, but this is written to a people in a place, right? When they say the prayers, they're not talking about our freestyle prayers, and freestyle prayers are good. Like I hope we all have intimate communication with God where we talk about whatever we want to talk about. But when they said devote themselves to the prayers, what they're talking about are the prayers they had been taught. And these young men and women have been taught prayers from birth. And one of those prayers goes something like this. Throw that up there for me. And I encourage you, if you know this, to say it with me. And let me tell you why. Because as we devote ourselves to the teaching... And as we fellowship together, there must be moments when we unite in common creeds and common prayers. Because this is part of the bond that holds us together. And I know that we're like, we're always trying to do church in new cool ways, and I'm for that. I'm, I'm clearly for that. But it doesn't mean that all the old ways were wrong. And there is rich history and power in unifying around a prayer together. So, so say it with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And some of you would keep going and say, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Ah, isn't that nice? It's almost like he taught us to pray that one. It's right. It's right to stop and remember who we are, whose we are. It's right to pray a common prayer sometimes. And I haven't done a great job of making that happen in here, but I'm going to try to do better. Because I want us to speak together the affirmations we say we hold sacred together. And so devote yourself to prayer. And so I try to find ways to say things nicely. And sometimes I fail. <laughs> but like, so, okay, just permission to speak freely? Thank you, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, why, 
Why would you want to join a church if you believe that your money, your relationship, your life, your job is your business and no one else's? Why would you want to join a church if, if you don't want to devote yourself to the apostles' teaching and you don't want to devote yourself to fellowship and you don't want to devote yourself to seeking and saving the lost? Why, why would you want to join? What's in it for you? Like, are you getting some great business contacts in here that I don't know about? <laughs> what is it? What is it? it it's, it's, like, it's like this. It's like, imagine going to have this conversation with somebody and it goes something like this. Yes, sir, I want to join your group, but here are my things. I will not wear green under any circumstance. I refuse to ever salute. I'm not going to carry a gun. Eh. Um, matter of fact, I don't want to ever help anybody. Okay, I don't want to do anything for anyone ever. And the person across the table from you goes, you do realize this is the army. <laughs> I mean, would you join? And just let that, let it percolate for just a minute. Would you join that? Would that make sense? Why are you here? Why are you here? I've been, I've been just like going over this in my head so much. Like for me personally, why am I here? Am I here because I need this? Like I need, I need y'all's approval for words. Why am I here? Like why have I given, why have I given him my life? What is this really about for me? Why am I here? Think about it. And let me say this, if you're watching online, and, and I get it, maybe it's a corona thing or whatever, and I, I respect that and understand that. I'm not making light of that. But if you're just sitting at home and you could be here, why aren't you here? Why aren't you here? Why aren't you here? Some of you have been coming for a long time. Why are you here? Do you want to be devoted to the Scripture? You want to see God move in your life? Do you want that relationship restored? You want to seek and save the lost? Do you truly believe that the value of the collective is greater than the value of self? Why are you here?